You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. Peace, peace, episode 155. Welcome, whether this is your first time listening or your 155th time listening. I'm glad you're here. This week's episode feels a bit like a continuation of last week's episode where Sage and I talked a little bit about emergent structure. We addressed the question about whether unschoolers use curriculum and whether they do or don't, how do they structure their day? What does learning look like from a self-directed space? What's one example? Because it looks like many different things. But Sage offered us some examples in her own life, and we teased that out a little bit. The reason this feels like a continuation for me is that as I continue to watch the ways that Marley and Sage are developing structure for themselves and how they learn and what that looks like, I also, of course, began to learn a lot about learning and how I learn and the difference between the ways that I was showing up as a student versus the way that I show up as a learner, (laughs) because they are not always one and the same. Being a student has a whole lot, a lot around it. You're not just doing it for the purpose of focusing on your own educative journey. You are actually also performing inside of a system that rewards certain types of behaviors of students and punishes other types of behaviors. So One of the things I really got familiar with is how my school wounds were showing up in my learning as an adult and also in other parts of my life. So uh, I wrote a little something, something about it, wrote a song about it when here, here go (laughs) for my Living Color fans. It's not a song. It's actually an essay. Like many, if not most of these episodes, I start out in the form of a loose essay and then kind of feel through it and sometimes find somebody who would make a great partner in conversation about it. That's how I end up doing interview episodes or sometimes I just want to feel it out, just me and you, and then you follow up with me the ways that you do social media, the voice memo option on RaisingFreePeople.com emails, all the different ways that you and I engage in the things that come up here. So this one, much like many, if not most of the other ones, started out as an essay. School wounds are real and powerful, and doing the work of naming and facing and moving beyond them can really be a beautiful part of the de-schooling journey. It also, for adults, can really help us understand how to make more room for our children to be learners and not just students. The person who can convince you that who you are could never be enough, that is a powerful somebody. In our society, it's not a somebody who wields that power, though. It's a system. And we have a six-letter word for it. School. School in any city, in any town, in any country has its own culture. And there are, of course, many differences among schools across countries. But still, in many cities, towns, countries, 
the traits that are celebrated, pointed out, or get the most big up in schools are similar. So what are these traits? Bright-eyed, meaning you show up ready to learn. Showing up looks usually like enthusiasm so that teachers also feel enthused to teach you. Inquisitive, you ask questions often, but not too often. Assertively, but not too assertively, because if we go too far in, then it's considered rude. You smile often as a good student in school culture. You are easy to be around, and easy, by the way, is determined by the teacher. You speak well, and you speak the language that is easiest for the teacher to understand as well. You like to read. You like to say what's on your mind in respectful ways. No one has to figure out how to help you. You are smart, and smart in a way that adults can readily identify and measure. So a lot of smart is really about knowing what the people around you know or care about and being willing to display that you have that knowledge. Those are, as I see them, some of the primary traits of school culture, what is celebrated. And I want you to think about what are some of the other things that are celebrated in school culture too, that are not necessarily bad, but they are specific. They are characteristics of personality traits that are celebrated above all others. In episode 154 of this podcast, Sage, who is a 13-year-old unschooler and also my daughter, talked about her frustration with the ways that there is this allegedly measurable, observable, boxed-in idea of how learning happens, and that that way is prioritized over an individual's personal process for understanding how they learn, for pursuing their interests and creating their own courses of study and their own schedules to a large extent without the pressure of needing to turn it into a job or something quantifiable to someone outside of themselves. This is something Sage noticed from being in a lot of different SDE learning centers and homeschooling and unschooling-centered communities and events. She's in a position as someone who travels with her family to be in community with other unschooling centers and collectives to hear the patterns of the types of questions and concerns that parents and other family tend to have when they allow children to self-direct their education. And I think that the focus on the measurable, the allegedly observable type of education box that most of us are confined to is just an indicator of the blade that causes school wounds. And that blade is competition. School culture says that we must raise children who can compete in the modern world for the limited supply of good jobs out there, right? And so competition, not collaboration, not community, not self-confidence, but superiority type ego and drive to be the one, to best the others and to shine. This is the focus. Competition is the blade that causes school wounds. I remember when Marley, our oldest daughter, was in kindergarten and realized that she was one of the few students who could read. Why can't they read, Mama? <laughs> and the question would come up a few times, and I knew that it wasn't just from a space of curiosity because I'd observed, without saying anything, the ways that the teachers pointed out how Marley was smart because she could read, which then said 
without having to say it in those words, that other children who could not read were somehow less smart. Now, the teacher never said those words outright, but the ways in which my daughter asked the question and the look on her face and everything that I saw while I was constantly in that classroom environment informed me of what was happening, that I didn't actually need words to confirm. This is an example of how all wounds develop. I answered that question to Marley by pointing out that everybody's mother or father or whoever didn't work from home and set their own schedule like her parents did, and that therefore they might not have had time, the time it takes to teach a child to read, and that the difference in their situation didn't make them less smart and didn't make their parents any less wonderful. What was happening was that the constant comparison between students was affecting how my child viewed herself as different or smarter than the other children. Because that smart was under the guidelines that were set by the types of rewards and attention that the teachers showed. So Marley saw those things. She picked up on them, just like many other kids, I'm sure, picked up on those cues. And those same cues help to inform how they see themselves and how they view each other. Competitive, not collaborative. Better than, not better with. Wanting to earn favor from the person in power, perhaps even at the expense of the relationship with peers. These are the makings of school wounds. And the way that we win this attention, the way that we compete well is to be better than, because as we are, we are not enough. And operating from this space of not enoughness means that our children feel the need to outshine each other, to play to the spotlight, to learn nothing about self-care outside of shine and accomplishment. We learned everything about shine and studies and nothing about nurturing the person doing the studies. And those things that we didn't learn, they show up in our lives in adulthood all the time. I was watching Kimberly Foster. That is someone I proudly support on Patreon. She runs for Harriet. And the other day she had a video. I think the video was entitled, Kevin Hart is not okay. <laughs> and in it, Kim talked about something that Sage mentioned last week as well. And that is about neglecting her self-care needs in the middle of her studies because that's what we are directed to do. Sage talked about the ways that sometimes when she was in the middle of studies that she might find herself not doing what she thought she should be doing, but that instead of beating herself up or going right back to the thing, she would pay attention and say, what's going on? Or if I'm working and working and feeling like there's an emotional thing that is separate from my work that I haven't addressed, am I pouring myself into my work at this level so as to not address that? Now, Sage is 13 and was already able to pick that up. And I think a huge part of why is because she has the space to develop a structure that is made for her, all of her, not just her ability to accomplish or compete or to show that she's learning. And Kim herself in that video was talking about how, I think it was about six minutes in, I jotted down that note <laughs> where she said, Whatever was happening for her, she didn't need more work. It wasn't about more money. It wasn't about a better strategy. She needed care. And those are some of the things that we overlook. Those are some of the things that are stifled by school culture. And it's that emphasis on achievement at all costs, including the cost of the person. That is the blade that sharpens our school wounds. So we need to rethink it. 
We need to rethink achievement and let it be defined in collaboration with children, not for them, because it's not even for them. It's to feed the demands of systemic issues that cause us to think that the more we achieve, the more valuable we are. And in that same video, Kim actually put a clip from Will Smith recently talking about that too. I'm going to play the audio here because it is relevant to the way schoolish culture tells us to accomplish at all costs. When I started, I had, you know, all these grand ambitions of what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And, you know, I want to be the biggest movie star in the world. Um, so I studied that and I worked out and I got my body crazy and I did, you know, just got my head around um, doing everything I could do to be the biggest movie star in the world. And then I had a taste of that. And I realized that even though I had achieved all those things on the inside, I was still that same insecure little boy that was trying to prove something to, you know, girls that had cheated and to my father and all of that. And that you can't achieve your way out of your, you know, childhood wounds and trauma. So as you process this, as you feel through this and you hear bits of your story or a child in your life's story, What questions will you ask yourself to start tending to those school wounds? What wounds are the children in your life developing now that you can help them address? As a homeschooler, for example, maybe you're not an unschooler listening to this, but as a homeschooler, what are some of the wounds that the children in your life are developing now that you can help them address as you transition maybe from the space of school at home to more self-directed, beautifully emergent structure. What can you do with what you're beginning to recognize about being enough and helping children remember how to be and own their enoughness too? RaisingFreePeople.com forward slash 155 show notes page for this week's episode. You always want to make time to go to the show notes page because any interesting related links will be there. And also over the next few months, we're about to be like really adding layers and layers of protein to the show notes page because I have a goal of making each episode as resourceful as possible which means that I want to be able to extend beyond the conversation that I'm having here, the one that you have back with me when you you tell me how you listen to the podcast and talk back to me like we write there, any conversations that happen between you and the people in your community when you listen to each episode, those are ways that we can make the podcast more resourceful. And on top of that, I started a Facebook group. I didn't really want to, but... (laughs) I did because I see the benefit of it, particularly in being able to extend the conversation past in the moment, you know, past the episode itself. And so someone is going to be dedicated to the show notes page going forward. I think we're going to start that in March to make them even more detailed, to make them even more useful. So make sure you check out the show notes pages, get into that habit. And this one is raisingfreepeople.com forward slash 155. 
also got to thank our latest person who is over in the Make It Happen family over on patreon.com forward slash Akila. Jennifer is our newest patron. Jennifer, thank you. Welcome to the community. If you liked this episode or any episode of this podcast, please consider donating a monthly amount as little as a dollar a month, as much as $10,000 a month over on patreon.com forward slash Akila. When you join our Make It Happen family, all you're doing is saying, I really appreciate this podcast and I want to do my part to make sure that it can happen every week. So thank you to Jennifer and anyone else who's listening who's like, let me go ahead and get on patreon.com forward slash Akila and get in on the mix. Thank you in advance. Much love. Chat to you next week.